Welcome to the Guernsey Press Politics Podcast. I'm Simon Delarue, and today our guests are the Chief Minister, Deputy Peter Fairbrush, and Deputy Carl Meerveld. Welcome to both of you. Thank you very much. Thank you. Uh, now, we're here, of course, as we have been all week, to talk about the tax review phase two, the policy letter being brought to the states by Policy and Resources, of which Deputy Fairbrush is the president. And uh, the debate will begin on Wednesday of next week. And um, I'm conscious that there will be quite a few people listening to this who don't normally follow our coverage of states' debates. So just a few um, pointers as to the nuts and bolts of what's going to happen on Wednesday morning. Well, first of all, it's going to start about an hour earlier than usual because uh, there has been a protest called for on the steps of the Royal Court, uh, which will begin at half past eight. Uh, By half past nine, all the deputies will be uh, in their seats ready to begin. And there will be, in fact, first of all, a statement from the two Alderney representatives an update statement from them. Then there'll be some question time. There'll be the election of a jurat and uh, one or two other bits and pieces. And then probably before lunchtime, possibly slightly after, Mm. we'll get to the tax debate proper. And that's only because um, one of the deferred items uh, has has been bumped to the end of the meeting uh, with the acquiescence of the Development and Planning Authority President, uh, Deputy Victoria Oliver. So we'll be getting to this around about lunchtime on Wednesday, finally, and it's going to feel like it's been a very long road uh, to get there. Now, um, the proposals that your committee has brought uh, in the policy letter that you published on the 28th of November, Deputy Fairbrush, um, has, uh, there are six proposals. Yep. Can you begin today by um, Summarize. telling us, by summarising what islanders will see change for them if everything you're proposing is approved? I think the first thing is that there'll be a reduced tax band. In other words, if you earn up to £30,000 per annum, your income tax, instead of being the standard 20%, it'll be reduced to 15%. You'll still have the same allowances, etc. Well, I refer to we increase the allowances, in fact, by £600 per annum. But let's put that to one side for the moment. So the idea of that, the medium uh, earning somewhere between £37,000 and £38,000. So quite a lot of people there for him below that. That's sort of my words, nobody else's. That's the average earnings. That's the way I look at it. I'm sure some economists economists would term it slightly different. So that means people earning up to the average uh, well and beyond, but particularly it would benefit those up to the average, which a lot of people in catering, a lot of people in uh, uh, care workers, etc., would get a, bo- a bigger, in real terms, benefit from that than somebody earning, say, 100000 or £200,000 a year. Uh, also, we'd increase, or well, we, not my money, the, 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 you know, there would be increased the personal income tax allowance by £600 per annum. That would be as part of it, and Deputy Roffey would speak to that, because he's been very much part of the tax review strategy group. Uh, he, together with an, a non-states member, Mark Thompson, from his committee, uh, and deputies Hellier uh, and uh, Deputy Mahoney from PNR. So they were the four members of the of that group. Uh, there would be, because what the states agreed in October 2021 is that there'd be an increase in social security contributions over a 10-year period, and we're partway through that 10-year period, which at the end of it, in today's terms, you know, forgetting inflation, would increase payments for social security contributions by £34 million a year. If these proposals were accepted, that would be reduced to 19 million. It would still be a big figure, but it's 15 million or thereabouts less. And what happens at the moment, you don't really get, if you earn above a certain figure, you don't get any kind of relief on your social security contributions. You will get that under these proposals. 
and Deputy Rafael say will speak to the detail. Because we're speaking to an audience without all the papers in front of them, I don't want to go into the, too much of that detail. We're also looking at uh, the... Because we appreciate that if GST comes in, and that's the next part of the package, that GST would come in no earlier than April 25, so just over two years' time, it would be at the rate of 5%, uh, and it would apply to most items. Mortgages, rents, etc., one or two other things would be exempt, but it would apply to most items. To benefit that, benefits would be increased uh, to make sure that people were, if you were 60 percentile or below, you'd be better off. Now, I don't mean you'd suddenly have millions of pounds to go buy yourself fancy motor cars and things, but you would be better off. And those at the bottom end of the, you know, the last 5 10% would be, uh, they'd have the greatest benefit. Those that can pay more would pay more. And you say that uh, that GST part of it is due to come in in April 25, if yep. everything goes as, as smoothly as planned for you. Yeah. Um, what about those other changes that you mentioned? When, when well, they would be implemented. They would be the same I mean, time, example, aren't they? Yeah, yeah. They're all going to be... Well, the Social Security thing would effectively operate pretty quickly. But they'd all be, they'd all be tied in at roughly the same time. You're right in that sense. There, there, there might be nuances between now and then in relation to what can be done. What also, I think the other thing I should just say, uh, and there are other proposals in here about discussions with Jersey uh, and the Isle of Man about, you know, reviewing the corporate tax and all that kind of stuff. Uh, and uh, the other thing I should say is that we accept that GST would be in its first year inflationary. Uh, the current figure we've been given is about 3.4%. So benefits pensions would be increased by that extra 3.4%. And if we got that wrong, because with any economic projection, you know, you can't be 100% certain, and let's say it's 5%, then that 1.6% extra would be paid or given the next year. So therefore, the inflationary bids would be met by the, uh, the revenue rather than uh, you as a taxpayer or me as a taxpayer having to pay those. We've got plenty of time today to move on to the other amendments. I'm just going to mention one of them now, because when we talk about what you'd like to see happen, there is one amendment that you've said you want to support anyway, yep. which is one from Deputy Prow, which Absolutely. says that, that. If, if in future the states wants to increase uh, GST, it can't be done in the budget. It has Indeed. to come back to the states of deliberation. We support that completely because people are saying, oh, well, you could put it in at 5% today and put it up to 6% tomorrow. Uh, that could still not quite happen tomorrow. I can't guarantee as president of PNR that in five years' time, somebody might not come along and say it should be 6% or 7% or whatever. I can't guarantee that. What I can say is that our genuine intent is that it will be 5%. And Rob Prow's amendment, which I'm sure will be carried uh, if it's debated, uh, is making sure that you can't just at budget time, like you can put cigarettes up by 10 pence and fuel duty up by 20 pence. We won't be able to do that. I won't be able to do it. Any PNR won't be able to do that. Okay. Um, now, as I say, there are um, significant uh, other amendments that have been brought uh, by Deputy Parkinson and by Deputy Soulsby. But um, when we uh, are hearing this tax debate on Wednesday, we're going to start, uh, Deputy Fairbrush, with your opening speech. Indeed. And then the first thing we're going to turn to at that point uh, is going to be a Circe motive, and that's been brought by yourself, Deputy Mirveld. So um, can I um, start uh, by asking you, um, if you get everything you want in this uh, debate, in other words, if your Circe is successful, what happens then? PNR have been asking for feedback on uh, on how to handle these tax increases. I think every deputy and every member of our public realises that the changing demographics will require tax increases. It's just a case of what degree and what type. 
The Cersei motive that I'm laying is actually following up on something I've been saying to PNR for the last two and a half years, that we're asking the wrong question. My issue is that we have a state that's constantly evolving, in my opinion, to a woke nanny estate that is trying to pander to all the demands of minority groups and introduce new measures constantly. Almost every meeting there seems to be a proposition coming forward to increase costs and provide a new service or benefit with statements like, they've got it in the UK, we need it here. Mm. My issue is the UK can't afford to pay for the services they've got, and they've got the sixth largest economy in the world, the ability to print money and raise debt. We don't. And they, you know, are we going to import, if we're importing UK services, are we going to import a 12-hour way to A&E? So I have a real issue with that. And I want to approach this conversation in the way that an individual would. Every one of us would aspire to have the lifestyle of the rich and shameless. But very quickly, reality bites, and we realize we can't afford that. So we have to compromise our expectations that we're going to own a mega yacht and come down to the reality of what we can afford. And we have another choice. We have, okay, I would like to have a better lifestyle. How can I earn more money to pay for it? Am I willing to give up more of my free time to generate future revenue. So you balance your aspirations with your income and effectively cut your cloth according to your means. I want to start off with that. I want the government to go to the public and explain the costs of what we provide and the breadth of what we provide and make some very hard decisions. If my Cersei Motive is successful, the really hard conversation starts then. The conversation about what size and style of government do we want and how much are we willing to pay for it? And what I, the Cersei Motive says, come back with three models, a bit like buying software. Your standard, your basic package, your standard package, and your business package, with a list of benefits and services we provide. The basic package would only have half the circles ticked. We would have to cut some of the services we are providing now, and we'd focus on the core elements that we could afford to deliver for the subscription fee, the tax base that would be attached to that model. The standard model would have three-quarters of the boxes ticked, so it would still require some cuts from where we are now and would have a tax packet attached to that. Then we've got the all-singing, all-dancing business model, which would be what we've got now, and that would have all the boxes ticked and would have a very significant increase in taxes attached to it. And that conversation with the public... And, and it will require touching some sacred cows and, and discussing their status, would then have people understanding what they're paying tax for. But also, you create a definition for government in the future. You stop this constant creep towards a nanny state. Every policy letter presented in the future that it proposes introducing a new service or benefit would be challenged. The first challenge would be, does it fit within the defined size and style of government? Yes, we'll consider it. No, we don't even consider it. If you've persuaded us as a committee or as a deputy that this service does fit within our style and size of government, the next question is, where are you going to get the money from? Where are you going to take it away from somewhere else to put it into that service of benefit? How will that differ to the process that is underway at the moment where every single policy letter that comes to the states has to spell out how it fits within the government work plan, what the financial implications will be? All these things happen already, don't they? Well, the problem that you've got is you have... Um, 
often very vocal minority groups demanding um, We've a certain... We've got what called GST, Carl. Huh? We've got what called GST. Yeah. Uh, with all those badges that you've put and all the... Li- somebody's, somebody's actually uh, put... Peter, let, please, say, please let me finish. Now, can I just please. make one comment and I'll let you finish, of course. I, I don't want to interrupt you because you're, you're speaking so eloquently. There's no substance in it, but you're speaking so eloquently. But in relation to that, we've got... People have tied lots of banners to buy my... I think you might have. Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm ref- I'm, I want to refute this allegation. Well, let's hear the allegation before you refute it, shall we? But, but seriously, in connection with that, it's as Simon has put, we go through that process already. And you and I, over the last six years, we've often said we don't agree with this. But the states have, been, have decided by 26 votes to 14 or whatever it might be that they're going to go ahead with a particular item of expenditure. So how will this change um, let's go, go through the false allegations that have been levelled at me. <laughs> I, I, I may have paid for all of the red ribbons that have been used, the 8,000 red ribbons that have been used in this campaign, but I'm not the one who tied them to a dozen trees in Deputy Furbrush's garden. <laughs> That's happened, is it? Okay. So I'll just clar- clarify that. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> Uh, yes, I like uh, I like the way that uh, uh, Deputy Furbrush is uh, always kind of managed to stick a little knife in with his comments. You know, your your, your conversation has no. Okay, well let, let's re- anyway, let's move deftly back to the point that these processes the, are already back. in play. Right, the size and style of government has not been agreed by and defined by the government, by us, and uh, endorsed by the public, preferably effectively through an election. People wanting bigger or smaller. I want to have it defined and have it tested against that. All to what? So, so, in speeches... But, but what, what are you going... What items, I wonder, are you going to be able to go to the public uh, describing as what something that government does <laughs> and, uh, it, and, and be able to elicit a response from the public that is, yeah, we don't really need that anymore. You don't have to spend money on that. Um, uh, because I, I know it's... It's an easy thing to say, but it was, the point was made at the open uh, meeting at Bose's Jaw the other night that um, if you ask people what uh, services they want, inevitably they're going to want those services. And then if you ask them what taxes they want increased, they're likely to say no. Correct. Now, but every individual, every business can make this decision for themselves. They do it every day. Why can't we have a community conversation about that? And yes, it's a majority rule. It's a democracy. At the end of the day, if the Assembly as the people's representatives make a decision on a size and style of government which involves some restricting subservices and benefits or removing them or possibly subcontracting the third sector in order to giving money to charities or, or private companies to deliver tangential services, hopefully at a lower cost, then that's a decision we've made. But we've actually defined it. You can then test these new proposals. All too often, I hear in the States, literally the statement, the UK has it, we've got to have it too. And I say, I say to that, my father, my grandfather never expected Guernsey to do everything that the UK does. Well, this and, this and certainly that, doesn't account for all of the expenditure that we're seeing, does it? I mean, the, the Alderney Airport uh, situation, for example, that was the most recent big ticket item. Right. That was... Well, actually, I'm very glad you raised that. Um, and, and my challenge to PNR is, over the last two and a half years, PNR have backed various measures, Alderney <laughs> Airport being the most recent example, that asks the state's government work plan or the list of things in there to commit to expenditure, both commit, uh, capital and revenue. Never in the last two and a half years have they said, by the way, we're recommending this, but you're going to have to pay GST to pay for it. We are broke. That's come out with the publication of this policy letter That's and an true. ultimatum. That's not true, Carl. This is the third stage. We 
You and I were in the States in January 2020 when the policy letter was debated, put forward by Deputy St. Pierre, and it had attached to it, I think, paragraph 242, all the extra items like the nice drugs, etc., etc., totaling somewhere between 70-odd million and 136 million. That table was there. We considered it. The states decided then by an overwhelming majority to go to what's now called phase one of the tax review. We didn't call it then because we were going to do it all. That was debated in September, October of uh, 2021. And by only one person, I'm not saying you voted in favour of GST. I'm not saying that at all because you didn't. But only one person actually voted against the whole package and that was Deputy McKenna. Uh, Somebody else abstained, but overwhelmingly, 37 of us voted in favour. And I'm not saying for a moment they were voting in favour of the package. But there were three issues there. There was either a 3% health tax, which is a euphemism for a 3% on income tax, uh, 8% GST and 5% GST. Those were the three headings. There were other bits to it as well, but those were the headings. We voted. In fact, we didn't even have a recorded vote at the end of that. We voted. So that must be unanimous as far as I'm concerned, that voted in favour of, of looking at those options. So GST has been on the table for a a long time and then we were due to come back to the states last july because people said look at corporate tax if you remember that was one of the the things that we had in the debate so we went off to us a young because nobody's going to believe what i say or any local person's going to say we went off to a world leader they are people who deal with what is all over the world to us young and they didn't come back till september so you know we couldn't come back in july which is what we intended that was published i think on the 22nd of september the exact date is a matter of record and it said what it said and the brief that was given to them and we had several meetings we did just give them a piece of paper uh, and they had the opportunity and deputy parkinson went and see them they had his paper remember he produced a paper beforehand they had a copy of that we said in uh, perhaps in elegant terms Get as much tax as you can from the corporate structures as you possibly can. Go and really, you know, raise the carpet, look down the settee, really do as much as you can without frightening the pigeons because we're in a competitive world with Jersey and the Isle of Man. That's the brief they were given. Not protect corporate. Go and get extra. And they came up with a report that was published in September saying the maximum you could get, if highlighted this four bits, is about £20 million per annum. Now, I was hoping they would say £100 million per annum, or you know what I mean, but, but that's not what they said. Uh, so we are. We then came up with our proposal, the policy letter was, was published in 28th of November or whatever it was, which says what it, what it says. There's not one of us, Peter Roffey, Mark, uh, or any member of PNR, that really says, we, this is, we really are delighted that we're going to be able to put forward, amongst other things, GST. We just don't see any option. That's the process of identifying what you might extract in additional taxation from the corporate sector. But um, what Deputy Mierfeld is focusing on there clearly is is um, the expense of what uh, I understand it. in the first and place. Very, so very, sensible, very sensible. And I'm very, you know, uh, Carl and I discussed many topics and many things over the last six years or so that we've been in the six and a half years now that we've been in the States together. And, you know, this is a well-intentioned, I'm talking about Carl Searcy, it's well-intentioned. It's going to cost between half a million and £750,000. It's not going to report till the end of 2024. That's not his fault. That's the, you know, because that's the work that we need to go and into. To be clear, it is policy and resources who will be obliged to report back. Of course it yet. will be. Of course it will be. Uh, because, well, it, if it's passed, that's the, the, the wording is, is set out clearly in, in, in uh, Deputy Mirvell's Cersei. But uh, I've been saying, and I think Carl would agree with this, I know he would, because I've been saying for the last 18 months, two years, to states members... We're going to have to address the tax situation. Uh, you, whether it's Carl Milvell or you, Liam McKenna, or whether it's you, Charles Parkinson, you know, 
that complete you. If you've got ideas, speak to us. Come and speak to us. We are there. We're not Solomon. We're doing our best. We're seeking advice from sensible people and sensible bodies. But if you've got ideas, come and speak to us. And I've said to Carl on many occasions, because he's raised it, if I can call it cuss cutting. I mean, you know, I think that's a fair summary. Yes, it is. Carl, if you've got ideas about cuss cutting, you know, I'm not saying this, I don't want to frighten people, get rid of St Martin's School or whatever it might be, or get rid of this service or get rid of that service, come and speak to us. Because we've just had, a, you know, we've had a succession of emails in the last few days, uh, ladies saying that they should have home births. You know, that's, that would cost money, extra money to the health service if that had to be done. In an ideal world where you had limitless money, of course you would do that. So there has to be a proper review of the system. And the government work plan, which was well led by Deputy Salisbury over the last two sessions, it's always been, and that's no criticism of her, because we all put our hand up to it, so I'm not criticising Deputy Salisbury, that's got too many things in it. That's going to have to be addressed, and uh, Deputy Murray, who's a new member, as you know, of PNR, is tasked with with doing that, and that will be brought to the states in June, July, whenever whenever we debate. You, you, the phrase you've used in the past is taking an axe to the government work plan, and that's uh, Deputy Murray's role, obviously now, uh, or his his primary function within yes. PNR. Um, I'm sure he's going to relish it, um, <laughs> and uh, that will bring about savings. One would hope. Yep. Um, so with that process already in train. Why do we now go to uh, the people and say we need the extra tax up front rather than, as Deputy Mirveld and others are suggesting, um, making sure we've completed that process of making efficiencies and then assess what extra tax we make? Because need. in the policy letter, we factored in £10 million per annum savings. We've got to get that £10 million. You know, I can't tell you today that it's going to be by cutting this service or doing that or the other or cutting fat from the system. What I can say is that every tax, it should be run business-like should the, should the, should the uh, states of Guernsey, but it's not a business. Because in businesses, Carl's got considerable business experience from the Far East and Asia and that kind of places. You're there to make money. You want a sustainable business, but you've got to, you've got to give your shareholders a return every year, otherwise they're not going to be very pleased. Or you can say, we can't give it this year because we're going to invest in this business product. In a government got to provide health services, education services, and all the other things that people reasonably expect. If you put off making a decision till tomorrow, and this isn't tomorrow, it's a lot of tomorrows, you're never going to do it. I would have been, I, and I, you know, I respect Carl, uh, I think he should have said after six and a half years in the States, let's have this if that's what he wants, but I've got, I want you to centre, I've got, my ideas are this, that and the other. Now, they may dismiss his ideas as saying then, you know, they're not sustainable or they, they should be done in this way. But Carl hasn't put forward a single suggestion in this package over the period of time that we've had the discussion about how you would save money. Only we should it save it, but not how we're going to save there it. There is a danger, isn't there, Deputy Mirveld, that this will effectively kick the can down the road because there aren't specifics here. It's just a bit more well, well, navel-gazing. Let me go back to my original point and uh, illustration and also address some of the points that Deputy Furbrush has raised. Government is very different to business, and it's one of the things I had to learn as a business coming in. And the fact is the demands on government are different for each individual. What they want, what they need today, is different for each individual, and their sacred cow will be different to the next person's. You can't touch that service, etc. Services come into being often because either there's a community-wide need or there is a minority group demand for some service of benefit. And the other irony is that 
Each person's demands of government changes throughout their lives. They're young and idealistic and they want equality and environmental protection. They get to be a young family and they want a stable economy, growth and a solid employment. They get to middle age and they're worried about, uh, uh, starting to worry about pensions and retirement. And they get to re be retired and they're worried about health care. So each person's demands change over time. But the difference in the way that government approaches handling this balance of choosing between uh, what we can do and what we can afford is basically we will carry on doing pandering to individuals or, or introducing measures that are demanded by the community as a whole or by minority groups. And when we run out of money, I know, let's find some way to reach into other people's pay pockets to pay for it. I want to have a serious consideration about cutting, and, and Deputy Furbrush has said Carl hasn't come with any suggestions. Carl has been working constantly and continues to work at ways to address this issue. So as Deputy Furbrush knows, I've proposed the idea of a wind farms off Guernsey that could generate enough money to negate all of these tax increases, £100 million, that and kind of money. When do you expect that to be ready? Uh, right, uh, well, uh, uh, we are having discussions with companies. I approached the company that hadn't approached Guernsey and brought them to the table. The market capitalization of that company is nearly £100 billion. That is the last 30 years of GD, the Guernsey's GDP combined. And they are wanting to fly people to Guernsey and start this conversation. Okay, they're, they're not going to hand over so, that money to us, are they? I'm, what I'm asking is, when is that going to be ready? I mean, right, in well, other words, well, that's it. how I'm, realistic I'm, I'm, is this as a solution to our right. current problem? I'm not uh, presenting this in the debate as a solution, but uh, uh, I've been accused of not having done work on this to look at both savings and, and I'll come to that in a second. Uh, the, but there's two sides to this equation. <laughs> our S&P downgrading, they've downgraded us because we're running a deficit and we can't service long-term debt. Now, you can address that two ways. You've got to balance the books. You can do it by raising additional revenue to balance the book, or you can cut costs to balance the books. Either way, that will improve your deficit. So I'm working on both sides of the equation. I'm coming up with proposals. Now, I'm not going to be presenting the, um, the offshore wind farms as a panacea because it's an egg that isn't even laid yet. The conversation started, but it isn't at a stage where you could rely on it. Therefore, it shouldn't be brought into debate. On the cost-cutting side, I have said to Deputy Furbrush and others, you've got... I, as an individual, sure, I can, I can say, I want to do this to uh, pensions. I want to do this to health care. But the community needs to be engaged in that conversation. It needs to be a centrally run thing where the Treasury is doing the lead on where the cost savings can be achieved. It's not something that one individual... I, as but, an deputy... deputy Mover, given, given the amount of work that has already taken place yes. with Treasury and with the previous states and with this states already, do you really expect when you send policy and resources and Deputy Fairbrush here away to examine these options and come up with uh, three alternatives that they're going to come up with just what you want? No, and that's why I will be putting myself forward to work in that group to actually go out and design this. I'm, uh, so I've, so I've, I've I thought you were sending Fairbrush. policy and resources away to no, examine no, this. So what, what, how, do, how will this work mechanically? Right. I've made a suggestion to policy and resources that uh, I think it's widely recognised within the states that GST proposals are going to fail because the public overwhelmingly is against it. And I've pointed out to policy and resources uh, the, uh, in official meetings that if GST is approved, big if, if it was and it was implemented April, May of 2025 with an election in June, then the likelihood, that's another big if, 
Can they do it on time? If it goes over the election, almost certainly the election will overturn it. If it was implemented April, June of, of, of 2025, it's going to be another incinerator debate. There'll be an election in June. Anybody who says they'll get rid of GST will get elect elected by majority and they will throw out GST. And we'll have spent a fortune uh, in implementing it. We'll have disrupted the private sector in implementing it and then it'll be overturned anyway. Yeah, if the public sentiment's against so, it. So it, alternatively, if your Cersei is successful, can you just run by me again? Right. How will you be involved in the right. formation of these proposals coming back when it's actually an instruction by you to send PNR away to do that work? Well, I've actually made a suggestion to PNR that they say put a Cersei motive against their own policy letter. Right. Well. I made the proposal that I, as an individual deputy, can make. I've made suggestions to PNR how they could adopt this and actually hand me a piece of rope to hang myself with, <laughs> and Deputy for, um, uh, Solsby and Deputy Parkinson. I've suggested they lay a Cersei motive, acknowledging that the public sentiment is massively against this, and a formal working group with those three deputies who have come up with alternatives to come up with their own plans within 18 months and if they don't work, then they will have failed. And Me what included. was your response to that, Deputy Fairbrough? Well, we just, we just can't achieve it. It's just not achievable. We cannot, I know it's a hackneyed phrase, we cannot kick the can down the road any further. Deputy Mayor may well be right. At the conclusion of the debate next week or whenever it, whenever it concludes, we may well, the states may well decide. I hope it doesn't, but I've got to be alive to at least that possibility. May well decide that it doesn't like our package. If that's the case, it depends what it does like. We could end up with, with absolutely nothing. We've then achieved nothing. We've achieved nothing. We've we debated it for three or four days or however many days it takes. We debated nothing. But coming back to your question, which you pressed Deputy Mirveld on, it would be policy and resources, because I'm reading the wording of Deputy Mirveld's policy, in the intervening period to work with the principal committees in consultation with all states members. So clearly that means we would speak to Deputy Mirveld and every other states member, the other... 30-odd states members. We speak to everybody. But it still says, you know, what I've expected for somebody of Carl's business experience, state's experience now for the last six and a half years or thereabouts, and he has the same access to information as I have. I don't. We don't have executive government in Guernsey, and every piece of information I get, except for some CCA stuff, which we're not talking about, that doesn't impact upon this, which obviously that's got to be kept secret sometimes for obvious reasons. Carl... Not really, Carl. I don't mean just Deputy Beerville. Every state's member has got access to them. Whether they choose to do that or not, I don't know. Deputy Beerville is a conscientious state's member, so I bet he reads either everything or most things. He could have come up and said, with at least some ideas, some ideas as to, because he said the standard, you know, it's a bit like standard economy and first class. That's a kind of analogy, if I would put it in relation to that. He must have some whether whether. Where he wants to, whether he wants to be a standard, whether it's be economy or whether he wants a first class system, he must have an idea. I think from what he's been saying, certainly what Carl's been saying to me outside of this meeting on many occasions, because we have lots of conversations, and what he's been saying in answer to your questions is he wants a standard one, his own view. Cut back on this and cut back on that. Now, uh, when I became president of PNR middle-ish of October 2020, uh, even though I'd been in the States for four and a half years by that time, you know, because we had an extended States because of the COVID. And I've read everything. I'm a conscientious states member. I think you'd accept that. Uh, you still, till you're sitting at the desk, sitting at the chair, you don't appreciate it. I mean, you know, let me just give you, it's a pretty trite example, Simon, that uh, we'd had a dispute which Dave Mahoney, Deputy Mahoney deals with. He deals with employment matters on behalf of PNR. You know, he's our, mm -hmm. our person in relation to that. We'd settled 
a, 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 a concern with the sewage cart drivers. We then were told, are they good people? But we didn't have enough of them. We, we had 20, we should have had 36. I can't remember the exact number. We were then told at almost a minute's notice, and it might seem a minor issue, but it's a real issue. It's the issue you'd have to deal with in business. These people have been offered, or a significant have been offered jobs as lorry drivers elsewhere, and they could earn more money elsewhere because construction industry needs lorry drivers to transport stuff. You've got to pay them an extra £2 an hour. Oh, they'll go. Now, we had to make that decision, you know, pretty quickly. Otherwise, those people, genuine people doing a decent job, and, it, and you know, you couldn't just say go because we've got an X percent of our island that relies on uh, cesspits, and within a day or two, we'd be in a real environmental issue. Those are the kind of real politic issues that you have got to deal with. If you had a straitjacket like Deputy Beervelt is uh, suggesting, you wouldn't be able to do that because that would cost an extra... I can't remember the figure. Let's say £100,000 a year. I'm not putting that forward extra there. You wouldn't be able to come with it. You'd have to go back to the States and say, I'm sorry, that extra £100,000 a year, and there are much bigger items that come across our desk at the last minute. We've got to fit this in. Otherwise, we're not going to have any or enough sewage car drivers. You're using an example there of about £100,000. I mean, it's a, it's a minor example. Whatever, I appreciate whatever, that. I appreciate I mean, that. We're, we're talking about you know a, a committee that's got delegated authority to spend £568 million or it something has, yeah. like that. Well, they, so, some people you know, try to change that, but you're right. There are, there, are, there are bigger fish, which I imagine Mirveld is uh, sh uh, shooting at in his barrel, if I can mi mix my metaphors. Yeah, but, but, but in relation to that, Carl, we've got the wording of the Cersei in front of us. And it would be three packages. And Carl has explained that very helpfully in answer to your questions, that if you wanted to add something, you'd have to take something away. That's the phrase that you use, Carl, I think, both today and previously. That's a very minor example, I accept mm. that. But, you know, it depends how much of a straitjacket it was. You might, If you need to add 100,000 per annum of expenditure, you'd have to take something else away. That's just too cumbersome. Um, the, the, I think uh, Deputy Furbrush is misrepresenting this. As you said, there is delegated authority to PNR to spend millions at their authority. That would be part of the budget pool. That wouldn't go away under these plans. You aren't asking the states to appor uh, 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 approve the stationary budget for one of the committees. There would still be delegated authority. There still be budgets. You're just looking at what government does and how it does it. But also, just to challenge um, Deputy Furbrush on, on uh, I have access to the same information he does. Well, he is president of PNR. Um, I can't tell you what the balance sheet of Guernsey is. I can't tell you what the total assets are. I can't tell you what the depreciation on those assets are. I can't tell you what the total liability of states is, including the off-balance sheet debt of Orany and GHA and other organisations like that, because we run the states of Guernsey according to our own accounting standards that aren't like anything in the world. Our auditors don't sign off on audited accounts. They say that our accounts have been prepared in accordance with our own rules. There has been an extant resolution since 2012 to adopt international accounting standards. I don't know, and I don't believe Deputy Furbrush knows, what the true financial position of Guernsey is, yet we're being asked to increase taxes dramatically to carry on funding a machine where we don't even know what the real costs and assets and liabilities are. I'll put this to you the other that's day. A cup out, that's, a, that's a cup out. I fully accept the point that Deputy Mervelt has made about accounting principles, and it's been around for 10 years or whatever it is, and we're moving towards it. Perhaps we should have moved towards it quicker. But it is not right. Firstly, two points. Firstly, I said Deputy Mervelt's got access to the same information as I had. 
he agreed that really and said, but I don't, I, I Carl don't know what the account, true position is, but he accepts that I would know to be in a position than that. But what I do know, and it's a bit like, uh, we've all probably read uh, the Miss Marple character in uh, Agatha Christie. I remember she was this great, she could solve all these murders, but from St. Mary's Mead, because she, it was character points of the, of the postmistress or the, uh, or the, uh, the painter. I know, Carl knows, or he should do it, I'm sure he will, I don't mean that again decisively, what money we've got in our reserves. We know what our capital projects are because they are in the, you know, there's a list of capital projects and this is going to cost 10 million or 50 million or whatever that particular project is. He knows what our revenues are. So those are the key issues. Nothing about accountancy principles, which I've been told would be finalised by 2025, so it's another couple of years or so, is going to alter the fact that we know what money we've got to spend, what money we're earning, and what we've got. We've got no hidden assets. You know, it's not as though we've got, uh, if you were to go to these accounting principles, we find we've got another £500 million in the bank, or we've got 100 million shares in, in ICI. We know what we've got. It does make me wonder, um, when you say that, why it is, if, if, if there aren't any sort of revelations available to you that are not available to other deputies, that um, you've, you've been saying for the last two years that deputies, as you just mentioned, deputies have to get real about the need to raise additional revenues. But two and a half years ago, at the time of the election, you said the burden on business and the taxpayer is too high. It is. It, in the real world, it is. In the real world, it is. Uh, but uh, what we've got, we in Guernsey expect a level of, of service now whether we can cut back on this department or that department a little bit it's not going to be the 100 million the real the real cause of all of this is the fact that we're living longer it's the demographics now guernsey's not unique in that but every when, other society but when you say uh, to your electorate uh, in a in a manifesto the burden of of tax is too high the implication is that you're intending not to raise it yeah i i, I don't hide from the fact that uh I accept having, as I've said, taken the carpet up, looked behind the, you know, the, the, the sofa. This is my point. You, you're now saying that you have become aware of information you weren't previously no, no, no. aware of. I've appreciated it more. I've appreciated it more. But the fact is, the, and that may be a fault that I should have paid more attention. I believe I did pay proper attention, but it doesn't matter. I accept where we are. And of course, over the last couple of years as well, we've had, through the fault of nobody, we've had a second wave of covid We've had the Ukrainian war. We've had the world economic crisis, because that's what it is, really. Most developed economies are in a state of crisis. We've had, over the last 12 months, not a, quite a crash on the stock market, but certainly a revision of the stock market, that shares that might have been worth 10 pence last year are now worth 8 pence. I mean, again, I'm not putting that as an exact figure. But certainly, and I'll be giving it to the States next week. I would give it to you today if I knew it. It's not me holding it back. Uh but I want as up-to-date information as I can so I can tell states members as soon as I can that we're likely in the year that's just finished for the first time for a number of years to have a revenue deficit. Now, part of that has been caused by the fact that we've had no return on our investments and we hope in 2023 that'll be better. There's no guarantee it'll be better, but, I, you know, sitting here today, uh, midway through January, uh, I hope it will be better. But we've got to have a regard to the real politic and it's easy to make statements uh, that uh, you think those are the facts. And there can be criticism. I don't pretend that I'm perfect. I don't pretend that my judgment has always been perfect in this regard, but I have to have regard as present, as Guernsey's senior politician, uh, as president of PNR, to what the real situation is. 
I would much prefer that I was saying to you and every person in the bailiwick of Guernsey, or Guernsey and Alderney, because we pay taxes together, that we could reduce income tax by 10p, that we, you know, we could provide better services because we're just going to have growth. We factored in growth into this, but the reality is that birth rates aren't going to go up dramatically over the next 15 or, or 18 years because people's lives are settled. Uh, we are not going to be quite in the same position because the baby boom, the people that were born between 1946 and 1965 and 1968, you know, birth rates started falling thereafter. But we're still going to have significantly more people in the 85 and over category and 65 and 70 year over category than we've got now. They've got to be paid for. And healthcare, somebody did a statistic, Carl, you probably correct me if I'm wrong. On average, a 70 year old will cost four times as much in healthcare than a, a 35 year old. That's on average. I mean, there are many mm. exceptions to that. So it's the real politic. I, I, I know we've got a lot to talk about. I, I don't want to labour the point too much, but I do feel compelled to, to, to say that, you know, you've, you've listed two types of thing there. One is unexpected things that have happened recently in terms of um, markets crashing, war in Ukraine, etc., second wave of COVID. Uh, and the other stuff is stuff that we absolutely knew about and have known about for ages, for, for 20 years or more, the demographic time bomb uh, issue. You, Everybody knew all about those long-term issues and the, arguably the, the short-term issues are temporary and may well not uh, well, the, certainly, yes. the, the, well, the markets are showing signs of recovery, yeah. aren't they? But so, that still won't take us to the promised land because we've got a capital project. Now, we could say, and I looked, you know, I've analysed, I'm going to be speaking about the states debate. I've analysed all the capital projects that, quotes we, I mean, the states of Guernsey have approved or got in, in situ. Now, uh, those, we could cut back on some of those, but... We've got two options. Either we cut back on those and we increase our savings a bit because we're spending our savings to pay for those. Uh, but it's still not going to take us to where we need to be. We've got this structural deficit. Or we go ahead with those, in which case we reduce our, I'm using our savings, our reserves, whichever phrase we want to use, even more. We can do that. But even if we don't spend another penny, and that's impossible because we're paying, for example, for hospital phase one, and that's yeah, you've seen the cement mixers are there and the diggers are there. That's going to be completed summer-ish of 2024. And we've also got another big one, but we cannot put off because we discussed with health relatively recently, which is the medical patients record system, because it's really a Heath Robertson system. We, we said we should put off all these decisions till after the tax debate. We then know what the result of the tax debate is, and then we can see things. That's an 18 million pound project, or 17, 18 million pound project. So there's things we have got to spend money on, whether we like it or not. But what we might not do, I'm not saying it now, not my decision. We've got hospital phase two, which would start at the end of 24-ish, and it's a four-year project costing 180 to 190 million. We may say we can't do that. That will be a decision we'll take. So we wouldn't spend that 180 million. We'd have, therefore, those reserves because we hadn't spent it. But even with a return on that 180 million, it's not going to bridge the gap that we've got to go forward. And also, we have spent, and I don't mean Carl Melville, Peter Furbrush, or this assembly, or even the previous assembly. We have spent very little on our infrastructure for a number of years. It's looking... When I was president of the SDSB, uh, and this isn't an improvement, you know, it's not going out and building something, I was told uh, that we could write a cheque tomorrow for £30 million just for maintenance, undone repairs for the St Peterport Harbour. Yeah, I, I, Deputy Mayor Veld, you wanted to come back on something. Yeah, that was I want to actually uh, agree with Deputy Furbrush on two points. On my analogy of the software package, you know, basic 
standard and premium. Um, I agree with Deputy Furbush. My, I think, <coughs> excuse me, the average person in Guernsey are quite liberal, quite generous, yeah. and they would agree, with, they accept that higher taxes, I think they recognise that higher taxes are required, and they would agree with the standard package. It's paying slightly more high, higher services, uh, taxes for a defined list of services, which would require an, uh, some cuts of services and benefits in some areas or some functions the government currently provides which are considered um, non-core. The second thing I'd like to agree with Deputy Furbrush is his manifesto that the tax burden on people right now is too high. Now I think they would agree to a small increase in taxes but we've had this conversation before when um, uh, uh, Deputy Furbrush has rebutted some of my comments by saying it's never a good time to introduce tax increases. And I replied, but there are some extremely bad times to impose large tax increases. When you're facing the largest, highest inflation since the 1970s, the largest decline in standard of living since the Second World War, and potentially facing, Bank of England has said, the largest recession in history. Yet to see whether that pans out or not. But you'd, that is the extreme, the, the worst possible time. Now, Peter Fer, uh, Deputy Furbrush will say that, um, yes, but our back's to the wall. You know, we, we've got, and, and it is a failing of, uh, you've pointed out, the demographic time bomb, the healthcare issues. We've known about this for decades, and so... Uh, Repeated states' assemblies have uh, have kicked the can down the road and, and haven't addressed it. I absolutely agree with Deputy Furbrush. We are now at the point where we have no choice but to address it. This assembly can't kick down the can down the road. But that's not the reason, not a justification for making the wrong decision that takes us down the path. The Treasurer of Guernsey has told me to my face that this round of GST only raises half the money we need, and there will have to be another phase. So if you have... She denies that. I've spoken to her. I wasn't present. I wasn't party at that conversation, uh, you know, so I can't say I wasn't in the room. She denies, because I think what you have said, correct me if I'm wrong, Carl, and I may be wrong, in which case please do correct me, that... Uh, the five percent rate, which is the rate we've talked about, would have to go up to ten percent. Well, she that, hasn't. She has no, definitely, no, she de definitely did not she say has that. Not said that at all. Uh, no, I, I implied that. If if you're telling me the only ways to raise half the money we need is a five percent GST, there's no other tax that will do it. That's required. Yeah. Then, if you want to raise a hundred million, it requires ten percent GST. Yeah. And a leading economist who works not. with the government in a public presentation yesterday, I'm told because I didn't attend, said that the real GST number needs to be twelve and a half to fifteen percent. But he also said 12.5% corporation tax and 12.5% income tax. That's what I understood he said. Right. Now, I wasn't present either, so I can't say that I've heard that. I've heard it secondhand. But in relation to that, and uh, I've reread the debates of uh, 2020, 2021, because I think it's important, because human memories are failing. I said in 2020, before the last election, that I could see that there could well be a need, not that there would be a need for GST. So I said that it's a matter of Hansard record in January, when I spoke of that debate in January 2020, I before the last election, which was October 2020. But forget all that. It doesn't matter what Deputy Blog said or Deputy Smith said. It's having regard to where we are now. Uh, and we have had, uh, and Carl has made the point, graciously just made the point or emphasised the point that I made, accepted the point that I made, is that we've got this demographic type of, we can do nothing about that. Unless we're going to ask, there was a Michael York film where you volunteered to be put down at 35. I don't think anybody's suggesting that in our system. <laughs> but we're, So we, we are in a position whereby 
the phrase Carl used, which I think is a good one, and I, 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 I happily adopt it, our backs are to the wall. We are where we are. Everybody will agree that, and we have to fight our way forward according to our current situation. But arguably, you hold the position you hold because of your anti-tax rhetoric at the time of no, the election. I don't think so, because I don't think so, because uh, I hold the tax the position I hold because uh, I got twenty-three votes in the assembly in October. Uh, 2020. And if you look at the statement I made at the time, because we had, we gave a 10 minute introduction and then we answered X number of questions from, from deputies, that issue, I didn't say then there'll be no tax increases, there'll be nothing uh, in relation to that, uh, that we've got to just stick where we are uh, going forward. You can read the Hansard comments yeah. of that at all. No, I'm, I'm thinking not, about the fact that you were in the chamber in the first place, that well, I think opportunity it, I think, of I mean, the bank you know, I, I don't want to be putting that, I, I think that you weren't I think, alone. <laughs> I think, well, more than that, I think you look at it as well and say there were 119 and then sadly somebody died. There were 118 candidates. I came fifth. I got 11,100 votes or whatever it was. I think that uh, I'm not saying I've necessarily come fifth. I might have come 25th. I might have come whatever. I can't guarantee, you know, with an election, you can't guarantee anything. I think people, whether they vote for Carl Melville, Peter Fairbrush, Mr. Smith, Miss Jones, they look at the overall comments that those people have made and the contribution they feel he or she can make. Okay, it's not I, one um, issue. I, very, 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 there's often not one issue. Rather than uh, press the same, a similar question to the candidate who came 38th in the, in the last election, <laughs> uh, Deputy Mayor, I, I, I do want to move on uh, if I may. Well, I was just going to actually just say that I voted for Deputy Furbrush, as did 22 other deputies at the, the last election as president of PNR, um, as the best candidate in the room. And whilst Deputy Furbrush and I have very, uh, we're obviously sized, opposite sides of this argument, I do have respect for him and PNR and the work they've done preparing yeah. this. It's just that we have different visions on the way forward. And um, I would just say to him, he needs to listen to the public on no, this. No, I one. accept. We, I've, I think we've got to listen to the public. We've also got to make decisions. And again, because Deputy Mayor Velder on and I are on different sides of the fence in connection with this, I, I always respect his judgment. He mentioned uh, the work he's done in relation to wind farms, etc. Fantastic work that he has had. He's largely led it. He's had able assistance, but he's largely Correct. had it. And I think in due course, but I think sadly it's years off. And that's not a criticism of them because big companies don't write checks for 100 or 200 or 300 billion pounds without having due research. That is the way to go. That will be a way to go. But that's so far in the future and no criticism of the work you've done that we've got to look at where we are now. I, I, I agree. It's not an egg that's been laid yet. It, it is, but that's the kind of thing I would like to see government doing: is exploring ways to increase revenue and reduce costs, rather than putting the entire burden on the taxpayer. It with a tax that, for me, I inherently don't like. Partly because it's too easy to increase. It's too and, and yes, the Prow um, um, uh, uh, Dudley Owen amendment will write it into legislation, but that just creates another bureaucratic hurdle for getting an increase through. I can't, I can't My say, concern I can't is that this will keep going I can't up. say if that's passed that stops it being increased from 5% to 8%. Of course I can't. No. But it does, it's sensible. It gives, But it would prevent the Chancellor at the time budget. just saying, you know, we're going to put it up another 2%. 
we'd have to go through whoever he or she was to have to go through another step first. No, nobody's mentioned it, but it is also possible that a future states might get rid of a GST that has previously well, been put well, in. So that, there is that possibility true. as well. My concern is because of the timing, people have said that Jersey introduced GST and then the resistance pretty much fell away. Well, actually, the resistance is still there. Those deputies in, in Jersey want to remove GST and think it's a massive mistake. Um, and they lost. Uh, but well, they're still campaigning. The, at, uh, the introduction of GST, 30 to 60 days before an election, to me, is just a nonsense. You're asking for exactly the horrible debacle we had over incinerators, where we signed a contract to build an incinerator, then cancelled it, then signed another contract for building an incinerator, then cancelled it, and paid £11.2 million pounds in penalty ca cancellation fees bonkers to those companies. Bonkers decisions. I think it's a bonkers decision to try and introduce a hugely unpopular tax and, and implement it days before an election because inevitably that election will end up being uh, you know a, a a plebiscite on gst and gst will get overturned through I popular opinion i don't agree with hence that. your cersei ruling out gst as one of the uh, potential and op terms. options to come back and my suggestion it. to pnr that a working group be set up with the three deputies of uh, uh, with the three deputies of proposed alternatives and give us the rope say go and work up your alternatives you say you can do something different Go do it okay, so and that's come back to us and the public with That's it. a suggestion you've made, but not one that exists in your Cersei. There are other no, it'd have two, to be laid by PNR. Yeah, there are two but other... You could have laid it. You could have laid it. Within the time period, you could have made that a second Cersei or part B of your Cersei. You could have put that in, couldn't you? And you chose uh, not no, to do but so. No, not that I, I didn't know what uh, Heidi and Charles and other amendments are coming in. Well, 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 this, 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 this leads me on nicely to these other two uh, visions that have been laid forward, one from Deputy Parkinson and one from um, Deputy Salisbury, and each of them obviously have allies. In fact, you probably would not number yourself among Charles Parkinson's uh, allies as you've been photographed with him holding up your banners recently on our front page. Um, I've asked Deputy Fairbrush for his assessment of those two options in the last few days. Um, are you in support of either of those visions of the way forward? I support both the initiatives. I have reservations about both of them. And and I haven't... Can, can, I, can I just interrupt? Yeah. How can you practically support either of those visions if your Cersei is successful? Because they will be... They will no longer exist. I think he's saying he's well, no. not successful. Uh, so, if my process is not right, first of all. You're the, you're the, sorry, you're the third of the group of nine deputies that has mentioned to me that they're keen to support one or either of those other alternatives. It makes me wonder whether you've all determined already that your Cersei hasn't got a chance. No, it's all about that. If the Cersei fails, what's your contingency plan? Those amendments don't get debated if my Cersei succeeds. They're gone. So you won't but have it. So have Deputy have... Liam McKenna, for example, won't have the opportunity to second Deputy Parkinson's Correct. option. In all probability, actually, the way the Cersei is structured, the debate will go on to a certain extent, but I've got a feeling those amendments will fall away because the propositions they relate to have been, no, been no, ruled by the correct. Cersei. So if your Cersei is successful, that's the end of the debate. The Cersei then wins. The, the amendments don't... None, not a single amendment gets debated because the Cersei replaces... Uh, the uh, two, three, five, and six. Or yeah, one yeah, and that's right. That's stone. it. That's uh, that's what it says. That's what uh, meeting to be held on the thirtieth April, twenty-five or earlier. If said was never these things are never earlier, uh, as you and I know. Uh, the it will be the 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 the, the uh, Parkinson amendment and the Salisbury amendment 
would not be debated. Right. If I fully agreed with the Parkinson Amendment and the Heidi Salisbury Amendment, I would have seconded one of those instead of laying my own Circe. My preference is my Circe. I believe the Circe is the best way forward for our island, and I hope the members will agree with me. But... You always have to look at the contingencies, what if? And one of my concerns about this debate is that we end up with no direction coming out of it at all. Everything is thrown out. But wouldn't we better, Carl? Wouldn't we better? I mean, you're right, and I think that's a real possibility. I've said that today, previously, etc. Isn't it better to have no decision than a bad decision? Uh, always. So, uh, so a, 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 a no decision, and going back to the drawing board to some extent, is preferable to a bad decision, 100%. Um, uh, yeah, and the as I say, if I had fully supported those other amendments, I would have seconded them myself, and I wouldn't have laid my Cersei. I believe my Cersei is the best way forward, and it engages the public in deciding what they want from government and what they don't want, and what they're willing to pay for, in the way that every individual makes a, a decision about their own lifestyle. Every business has to make a decision about how they expand and grow their business. You and can't have 63,000 people making because of those 63,000 people you might have 50,000 different views you just uh, can't do that no no no, no you you that's why the instruction is to work up three models present it to the public then those models uh, how, do, how do you present it to the public in a way that ideas have not already been presented to the public you well, you you may well have the impression right now that the public software are easy now. to engage because you're holding up a red banner and they right. get right behind it so but when you're trying uh, a time at the sorry I, <laughs> yeah. maybe i'm going off on one here but <laughs> working in the media i'm quite aware that when the government attempts to engage and we plaster it all over on any issue we plaster it plaster it on our pages it goes out on the radio it's yeah. on tv you, you you can't move for coverage of this thing and they'll get a couple of emails and a letter what? i mean uh, 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 i we think had, we're getting a few more than present, a couple now. you were present on whatever night it was at boat jour we had 19 people i think yeah. other than the journalists 19 plus journalists and plus, stuff and 100 and 200 or whatever it was which we, we were grateful i think it might have been i think you, you've said 150 i think it was over 200 but anyway that's all we had out of 63,000 people now i'm grateful for the 19 people that turned up because i think they made it useful contribution and i'm grateful for the 100 or 200 people that was on but you're right and that's pretty typical right it's only a no i remember but, when we had the abortion well, well, let's hear from oh, sorry oh, oh, but the, the, the counter to that is De deputy parkinson held a presentation on his amendment and had over 200 people turn up if the public tends to you're quite right it's it's difficult to engage the uh, the public in discussions but they're certainly engaging on gst and we've received a lot more than a couple of emails but this won't be about gst this this will be a a, a consultation about what government Correct. does on its budgets etc i would like and i would like the government I, I i would envisage my software package analogy basic standard and and uh, you know uh, enterprise advanced whatever so premier software packages with tax packages at the bottom the public would get involved the deputies would uh, uh, amend those packages with insert this take that out to balance within that budget but we would have an agreed at the end of it we'd end up with an agreed package where you define the style and style, size and style of government and what it delivers as well as the level of taxation you're willing to pay for it and i believe that's a conversation not only that we can have we need to have. What is it about the uh, fairer alternative, which is what uh, Deputy Soulsby has described her amendment as, that, that, uh, that 
what what is it about that that doesn't meet your expectations in that regard? Doesn't it also provide for all of that, plus hmm. some actual revenue-raising measures? I, I, I have a visceral dislike of GST and sales taxes, and it doesn't take GST off the table. Also, it reiterates a lot of things that have already been said. I in you said under your package, that might still be considered. Uh, no, it says right there. It says okay. uh, packages excluding okay. GST. So GST goes off the table. Say that. Goes off forever. Yes. Ever and ever and ever. I would like that personally. Again, I can't. Unless buy, overturned I, by a future I, states. Yeah, unless exactly. a future states brings it back. <laughs> and they would have the same battle with the public when they did. Right. And possibly me leading it, the charge against it. <laughs> so that leads me to a question to you, Deputy Fairbrush, yeah. which is that there are three, uh, well, there are actually eight amendments uh, in this debate. And we haven't even mentioned the, those from uh, Deputies Gollop and Matthews. Well, I guess which we could deal with them. See, <laughs> which, which would, pardon? Or we could deal with it. Well, we can get onto it maybe. But there's a question yeah. I want to ask about uh, first. Um, so we'll get, we'll get to those. Okay. Um, but the, the three major alternatives to what you're proposing are obviously the Cersei that we've discussed at length the, um, and the uh, amendments we've also discussed uh, yep. more briefly from Park, uh, Deputies Parkinson and Salisbury. Yep. Um, are each of those, um, if, if in turn successful, or any one of them can be, um, scenarios where you would be willing to go by what the states has decided and continue in your position? Or would you be tempted to say, okay, for example, Deputy Soulsby, you now need no. to take responsibility for this and lead it? I don't think, I think that would be grossly irresponsible. We live in a democratic society and if the states decided it was option A or option B or whatever those options might be, we, PNR, would have to work with it. Do you um, think all of your uh, committee members are like-minded on well, that? I think so. I mean, I can't speak for individuals, but certainly I've not heard from the other four members uh, that they're going to, you know, if Salisbury is successful or if Parkinson's successful, that they're going to the next week resign. Now, they may change their mind, but I can only speak to you as we're sitting here today. So I wouldn't want you to come along in three weeks' time if that happened and they resigned uh, to say, well, you told me that. I'm telling you the position as I know it now. And from your perspective, you're I wouldn't determined to No, no, continue. but I would just think we'd be, we as a government... Forget Peter Fairbrush or PR. I'm talking about the Salisbury one in particular. We'd be neutered because you'd have these two advisory committees. Well, that, that's why I'm asking the question. Well, I mean, know, but we'd still have if, to do if it. you were well, neutered, just you'd carry on they, anyway. Yeah, but I think you would see how they they just wouldn't work. So you'd be there, and I think they would collapse into the dust pretty quickly. Well, this is why I'm, I'm sorry, Deputy Mirvold. I know you want to come. You want me to come to you in a moment, but that's why I'm thinking that. Yeah, if it was me, I think I'd feel okay. Uh, Deputy Parkinson, it's it's yours now. If you yes, think yeah. you can make this work, then good luck to yeah. you. I think that would be irresponsible. I, 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 okay. think that I, would be, I, I agree with Deputy Furbrush. That would be irresponsible. PNR has been elected. I think in a lot of things they've done a very good job this term. I fundamentally agree with disagree with this proposal, but I would not be supporting any attempt to bring them down, nor would I be encouraging them to resign if they fail in this. I would continue fighting my corner and my argument against GST. If GST was approved, I would continue my campaign against it because I fundamentally don't believe in it. I want a different approach. But I would not be encouraging anybody to bring PNR down. I think that would be, again, if you look at this, uh, the negatives of coming out of this debate with a clear, without a clear direction, coming out of this debate with a complete turmoil in government is, is going to be even worse.
Very briefly, uh, there are a few other amendments which we could just, just cover off very, and we might not even get to them if your Cersei is successful, Deputy Mirveld, but um, Deputy Gollop wants to see certain exemptions. Uh, Deputy Matthews wants to see a significant increase in uh, property tax. Um, as, as somebody who's been looking down sofas and lifting up stones, Deputy Fairbrush, do, do you think there's merit in any of these? De well, Deputy, Deputy Gollop's exemptions would take out uh, 11 or 12 million pounds of the... Uh, the food one, etc., food and clothes, of the revenue from uh, GST, and it would create more administrative costs. Uh, so we, we, we don't agree with that. It means, I asked the Treasurer, uh, if we took those out, you know, to get the same amount of income from GST, what would it be? She said it would have to be 6% of the other items, so it would have to go up by 1%, which already defeats the object to a large degree. Deputy Matthews' uh, amendment, uh, very detailed, uh, last minute, and I don't, again, don't mean any criticism because he's made it quite clear what his views are, albeit not quite in this form. It would mean every single property, every single property, and there's 26, 27,000 residential properties in Guernsey and other properties would have to be valued. Now, that's going to be a bit of a job uh, and they have to be regularly valued. Uh, and it also wouldn't, and we've done the arithmetic, it, you know, it'll come out when the, the, this note from the Treasurer comes. It's just not going to raise that kind of money. There's another amendment from Deputy Collar, which I think is seconded by Deputy Matthews, which says put the personal uh, tax rate up to, the, you know, the exemptions up to the same as Jersey. That would cost an additional £48 million. So I don't think we'll be favouring that one. Okay, thank you. Deputy Mirvold, do you have any observations about those? Or do you largely agree with Deputy I largely Fairbrush, agree with Deputy Fernbrush. Yeah. I mean, I think um, uh, Deputy Aidan Matthews' amendment looking at TRP, is, is it, it helps. It adds to the equation. It, the fact is, we, our rates here in Guernsey are a fraction of what you pay in the UK. There is room for some upward movement. So again... As I've said earlier. Just putting a burden uh, on the taxpayer. Correct. But no, I've said... Because I, most people, the, the 26, 27,000 people, most people own their own... I don't mean most people own their own house. But most of those 26, 27,000 units are owned by an individual person who hasn't got five houses. He or she has just got one house. Right. They'd have to pay well, a lot. Well, correct. And, and I said earlier, of the three passage, basic... Uh, standard and 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 uh, you know full-blown enterprise level whatever I would go for the middle one I, I I personally would pay more taxes in one form or another I just don't want to pay GST and I think the majority of the population would say the same they recognize the problems and the demographic issues tax? we're facing well Give me a chance, Peter, and I'll work it out. Okay, well, I've, I've just noticed the time. We have been talking for quite a while. We haven't even got onto the glyphosate roquette. Goodness <laughs> me. Uh, well, maybe maybe for another day. Um, can, I, can I just um, finish by asking each of you, as a personal question, really. Um, you, you know, you've been in the maelstrom of this uh, debate and campaigning or um, fighting against campaigns for yeah. considerable time, arguably uh, since the last election, really, on, the, on this whole subject. Um, is it all-consuming, or do you get an opportunity to sort of step back from it and remember that the sun will still come up on Saturday, the twenty-eighth of January, and shine on the pebbles? I think it is. It is pretty all-consuming if you can. That doesn't make good grammar. It's pretty. But life goes on. Life goes on, and uh, hopefully the sun will rise on the twenty-eighth of January and have rain. But I know what you, you mean. Sound doubtful. Uh, <laughs> but you've still got to live a life. You know, this isn't. It cannot ever be the be-all and end-all of one person. I've, I've, I have difficulties with moderation. So in the six and a half years I've been a deputy, my family before COVID typically would go away on a, on a holiday off Ireland a couple of times a year. I went on one in six and a half years. I, I, well, my wife will confirm I'm not very good with moderation. I'm all in. 
it is all consuming and often it's a thankless job as well you get criticism for whatever you do uh, but it's also very rewarding you are making a difference you are acting as a voice for the people who support you on any given issue and you've got to remember that just like our states doesn't have parties and each member uh, uh, their position on a debate so uh, Deputy Furbrush and I are usually on the same side, mm. but occasionally are not. Mm. Same thing with the public. The person who's patting you on the back saying, great, Carl, go for it, one day is the one sending you a nasty email the next saying, what the hell? <laughs> so it, it, of those. You don't really yeah, I know. But <laughs> <laughs> well, so, well, whatever transpires but, in, in next week's uh, it, states meeting, let the right difference be made. And well, we'll, well, we'll, I, we'll I, I think out. that's where we can absolutely 100% agree. The end of the day, both Deputy Furbrush share a desire to do what's best for Guernsey. We have a different view on this specific issue, but that does not stop us being friends, working together, and trying to deliver the best for the island. Deputy Carl Mielveld, Deputy Peter Furbrush, thank you very much you for much. joining us on the Guernsey Press Politics Podcast. Thank you very much. <laughs>